Hello, and thank you for tuning in. Today I'm going to discuss several issues. First, and I don't usually like to name people, especially people that are seeking attention for the wrong reasons. In this case, I am doing so for awareness. Most people that keep up with current events probably already know about Congresswoman Wilson from Florida. And what a disgrace she is. First, she politicized the way President Trump corresponded with families of service members. And, most recently, she made jokes and laughed about how disrespectful her behavior was, even calling herself a rock star. We all know many rock stars get themselves into trouble with the law, and they feed on that type of media attention, and they often end up having their mugshots posted all over the internet. Well, there's nothing respectful about that. However, it is probably somewhat expected from a real rock star, as many of them live their lives like they perform and they play their music. I'm not validating their behaviors by any means, but honestly, I never thought any less of them for it, unless it was, of course, it was abusive or it somehow caused harm to somebody other than themselves, and usually that's not the case. In some cases, it is. This, to me, seemed to be part of the lifestyle for many of them. And I didn't worry so much since they make a living entertaining people. And seeing them to go to jail or arrested or whatnot, it was kind of entertaining in kind of a morbid way, I guess. Anyway, they weren't leaders, and my expectations were a little bit lower than a congresswoman. Miss Wilson, however, is in Congress, and she's expected to be respectful, and she's expected to be a leader. I know I'm stretching it because she never has shown any leadership, and she's a pretty poor excuse for a representative. Now, for those who don't already know, she represents the most heavily Democratic district in Florida, the 24th district, which is in southern Florida. Demographics-wise, 38% white, 2% Asian, 32% Hispanic, 55% black, and 4% other. And, if like me, you did the math, that comes out to around 131%. So, as I mentioned in previous broadcasts, the numbers are clearly out of touch with what is practical and what is possible. Unless, of course, they are manipulated around the white, white Hispanic, non-white Hispanic, non-Hispanic white, black Hispanic, non-black Hispanic thing. Whatever, so her district appears to be mostly black. Now, since she's going to insult the president for the way he handles one of his most difficult undertakings, and that's calling the families of wounded or killed service members, then I'm going to detail her failures as a member of Congress. I would include her successes also, just to be fair, but she doesn't have any. Zero success, 100% failure as far as I can tell anyway. First, and probably her most ridiculous efforts, were going for the ban on head coverings during the House sessions. Talk about irrelevance here. This ban dates back nearly 200 years, and she made it a priority since she likes to wear colorful hats. As a representative of a very poor district in southern Florida, she probably should focus on them, but she apparently places more value on wasting taxpayer money fighting against a 200-year-old policy banning head coverings during house sessions. To show her complete ignorance, the colorful hats she so dearly cherishes, and are often of a cowboy-style hat. She apparently doesn't know their origin, since she uses the race card and racist label on so many Americans, yet she often dons hats reflecting on part of the heritage she pretends to abhor. Now, some may argue that the style is from Mexican descent, and there is evidence to support some influence on that design. However, the credit for the modern design goes to John Batterson Stetson. Anyway, as trivial as it sounds, 
and it really is trivial. I'm being very trivial here. But I hope that sinks into her empty head. Every time she wears one of her cherished hats, she is wearing the design inspired by the heritage she berates and claims is founded in part on racism. I would expect her to backpedal and claim it is more so inspired by the lightweight Mexican head coverings. I also read from unsubstantiated online sources she wears the hats to honor her grandmother. Anyway, that is really insignificant compared to the neglect she shows for her district, and her job is to represent them, not live a good life while parading around in colorful hats. She is really not fit for the office, in my opinion. Now I'll touch on some history which might be a little bit more relevant. She was elected to the United States House of Representatives in 2010. Well, technically so anyway, as she was unopposed in the general election. She has flipped on her support for the Stand Your Ground Law, which is a law in Florida, and she actually voted to support the law in the legislature. She criticized it heavily during the Trayvon Martin case back in 2012. As a result of those findings in the case, she claimed racism and racial profiling. Then she criticized the law which she voted for, and she supported. Her weak excuse for flip-flopping like that was that new laws often work against the people. I have no idea what that's supposed to mean, so I'm going to leave that one alone because her excuse is so weak there is not even a response I can come up with. Now, for her district, there's about 54% employment, which is below the national average of nearly 61%, and the average income is around 38000 U.S. dollars per year, which is well below the national average of around 56000 and it's even below the average in the state of Florida, which is around 50000 About half the people in her district do not have and do not obtain high school diplomas, and less than 30% go on to higher education beyond high school. Now, compare that to the state and the United States. 83% go on nationally, and 81% from Florida have high school diplomas. So her district is undereducated, underemployed, and earns less than the average in the state and the national average. So what does that say about her as a representative? Clearly, she's not doing her job. So, while she's parading around in colorful hats and attacking the president for attempting to reach out to families of lost service members, she's completely neglecting her district. All the while, she's proudly bringing in her $174,000 a year salary as a member of Congress, along with her $1,268,520 benefits she gets from her MRA, which is her member's representational allowance. So about $1.5 million goes into her pocket every year, and her district barely breaks $38,000 as an average income. Just a horrible example of what lurks in the unlit corners of our political society, in my opinion. I've truly wasted enough time talking about such a vile individual. I want to touch on something that I found interesting regarding the recent tax reforms. I haven't dug too deep into it yet, but I did read some interesting points made by Senator Michael Enzi from Wyoming. He's the chairman of the Senate Budget Committee, and here are some of his remarks from October 18th. Let me repeat that. Total time burden for tax compliance is more than 6 billion hours. That's a lot of family time. That costs families and small businesses nearly $34 billion a year on tax software and out-of-pocket expenses, as well as, this is the important part, $229 billion in time and labor to comply with the tax code. The tax code's combined burden of $263 billion is more than the gross domestic product of 154 nations. To understand just how complex and outdated the U.S. tax code has become, it is important 
to put it into historical context of how it has grown over the years. In 1913, the 1040 income tax form consisted of three pages, with one page of instructions. More than 100 years later, that same form now consists of two pages with 106 pages of basic instructions. And depending on taxpayer circumstances, 13 separate schedules, each with numerous pages of instructions. In fact, there are more than 70,000 pages of instructions in total. This is why every tax season, Americans are forced to wade through an ever-changing labyrinth of forms and regulations when they file their returns. Now, those are his words during one of the daily sessions. I'll review some of the reforms further before addressing the issue directly, since I feel I need to better understand them before commenting. I did, however, like the way President Trump negotiated with the Democrats, though. He offered to increase the deficit by $1.5 trillion, and then slash Medicaid and Medicare by $1.5 trillion. Now, I never want the deficit increase, but if it comes down to it, and it has to be done, I'm glad he slashed into some of the fat by an equal amount anyway. And finally, in other news, the criminality of the Obamas and the Clintons is slowly coming into brighter, less deniable light. That makes me happy. Their entire network of corrupt uranium smuggling payoffs is unraveling. I truly hope prison is on the horizon for them, and I hope justice is served for the American people. And meanwhile, in Guile, Mozambique, the United Nations is pulling out due to vampire fears from the locals, leading to riots, looting, and other violence. Well, thanks for tuning in, and please let me know your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can find me on both Podbeam and Blog Talk Rodeo. You can connect with me also on Facebook and Twitter. You can find my blog at realintelreport.com. Please check back soon.